This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 5, if you would, this morning, Romans chapter 5. Last Sunday, we kicked off a brand new teaching series entitled Affliction. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be taking a look at suffering and the sovereignty of God. While I know this might not be the most exciting series you've ever been a part of before, uh, while I get it that you might on first glance think to yourself that this uh, series might be a downer or a bummer in some way, if we don't prepare ourselves for suffering, we're not just being honest with ourselves. Uh, God has given us directions in the Bible. He's given us guidelines to follow, to learn how to suffer in a way that will increase our faith, increase our hope in God, and increase our joy. And that's what we're taking a look at throughout this series, is learning how to suffer well. Uh, And we're taking a look at today, kind of a mini-series inside of a series, if you will, unrighteous suffering. Last week, we took a look at righteous suffering. What happens when we're trying to do the right thing? We're trying to follow God the best way that we can, and trials come our way. Peter says, don't be surprised by this. Just glorify God instead. Today, we're taking a look at unrighteous suffering. And you'll be thankful because I did you a favor today. Uh, This was originally one message uh, that I was, ended up being about seven to eight pages of notes for me, which would translate somewhere in the ballpark of about two and a half to three hours long of a message. So I did you a favor and I broke it down into three smaller messages, right? If you ever think your pastor doesn't love you, that's proof right there that I love you and I care about you. I thought to myself, we could do two and a half hours and we just have an intermission in the middle, right? Uh, you get up, go to the bathroom, grab some popcorn in the back, you know, stretch your legs and come back in for the second half. I have a feeling the second half would have been very poorly attended. And so uh, we decided not to do that. Uh, we're taking a look over the next three weeks. Today, we're taking a look at God's punishment. Next week, we're taking a look at God's chastisement. And the following week, we're gonna be taking a look at the consequences of our sin and uh, how those factor into our suffering that we go through in this life. Romans chapter five is where we find out today, find ourselves today, we're taking a look at God's punishment today when it comes to unrighteous suffering. This is when we're not following what God has outlined for us. When we're rebellious, when we're disobedient to God, how does God handle that? And how does, fact, how does suffering factor in to our disobedience against God. Romans chapter five, we're gonna start in verse number one. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse eight is one of those verses you wanna circle, you wanna put a star beside in your Bible, underline. You wanna commit this verse to memory because it tells us that when God uh, loved us so much, he commendeth, that word commendeth means demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, I was supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. 
Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Verse nine is really important too. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The book of Romans is so incredibly doctrinally rich with our standing before God, who we are before Christ, who we are in Christ, and what Christ's suffering on the cross has done for us. As we take a look at this before we jump in today, we need to take a look at what our sin does to us. Uh, Every single person in this room, every single person on planet Earth has sinned against God. God had a standard that he had set, and you and I fall short of that standard. Uh, The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And our sin is not something that we did one time. Our sin is not something that we've done maybe a couple of times. Our sin is something that is part of us. It's part of our flesh to want to do its own thing, to be selfish, to go our own way, to have things our way right away. That sin nature is a part of us. And by God's grace, Romans chapter six tells us that we can have victory over our sin. We don't have to serve our sin if we don't want to. But there come times in our life where we are are consciously aware of right versus wrong and we choose to do the wrong thing. I know I shouldn't say this, but I'm gonna go ahead and say it anyways. And we, we do that and we purposely, willfully sin against God. That's what we're taking a look at when it comes to unrighteous suffering. I know what I should do, but I purposely and willfully choose to rebel against God and I choose to sin. Many of us have sinned accidentally before. Just, man, didn't even think about it. We're just on autopilot and we did something that we shouldn't have done. This is a little bit different. This is when we choose to rebel against God. I know what God wants from me. I know what God expects from me. And I choose to rebel against that. It's important to understand, first of all, that sin is always destructive. If we ever think that we can sin and get away with it, you just don't understand what sin does. Sin is always destructive 100% of the time. The book of Proverbs tells us that there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. You think you got it figured out. You think you're smarter than God. You think God, God's word doesn't apply to you. You've misunderstood who God is and you've greatly overestimated your own wisdom because the way that you think that you should go, it's gonna end badly, I guarantee you every single time. Sin is always destructive. And we think to ourselves, well, you know, I'm willing to pay the price for my sin. The problem with sin though is it doesn't just affect me. It affects all those around me. It affects everyone that I'm connected to. If you're part of who we call a Baptist church, it only also affects your church family, the sin that you're involved in. Sin is always, always destructive. Next, sin always separates us from God and from others. Because God is perfect, because God is holy, because God is sinless, he cannot be spotted by our sin. Therefore, God must keep us at an arm's length away from him when we come to him with our sin. Always creates distance between us and God. In your relationship that you have with God, if you're a child of God, you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Your relationship with God will get messed up 100% of the time by sin in your life, selfishness in your own life. And it always separates us from God. But not only God, our sin also separates us from the people around us as well. Again, you're not isolated when you choose to sin. Your sin has 
uh, a waterfall effect on people that are, that are far upstream from you. Sin never only affects you and you alone. The Bible says in the book of James chapter one, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. That word death doesn't mean that you're gonna physically die. The word death literally means separation. When you physically die, your soul is separated from your physical body. That is what we call death. If you die in your sin, your soul will be separated from God forever in a place called hell. We call that the second death or a spiritual death. And sin separates us from God and it separates us from others and it creates a wedge between relationships every single time. So again, the idea that I can continue in sin and get away from it or get away with it is just not a biblical idea because sin cannot go unpunished. It just can't. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Again, that word separation. We're gonna physically die one day because of our sin. But that's not the end of it. If you die in your sin, you'll face what the Bible calls the second death, which is eternal death, separation from God in a place called hell for all of eternity because that's the punishment for your sin. Sin always has to be punished. God, because he is righteous, God, because he is just, requires justice. And so somebody has to pay for sin. It cannot go unpunished. As we look at today, unrighteous suffering connected with God's punishment, we need to define our terms. The word punishment means suffering, pain, or loss that serves as retribution. That word retribution is critical to our discussion here today. It's a penalty inflicted on the offender through judicial procedure, a form of physical pain or deprivation, generally in proportion to the offense which gives rise to it. In proportion to the offense is also a critical phrase there as well. God's punishment says you have sinned, you must pay the price. You must pay retribution. Now, what is retribution? It's punishment inflicted on someone as vengeance for a wrong or criminal act. Hey, you've done this, you must pay the price. God says you've sinned, you must die. Your sin must be judged. You're not just gonna die physically, you're gonna die spiritually. This is the judgment for your sin. This is the payment. This is retribution. This is you making things even with God by being punished for your sin. Now, some people might be sitting here today going, I've done some bad stuff. I don't know if it's worthy of punishment or not. I don't know if it's worthy of God like going to an extreme and like sending me to hell because of it. The Bible is very clear in the book of James. If any man offend in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. So if you've told a little white lie, your judicial standing before God is the same as a serial killer. You say, well, that's not on the same level of destruction. We're not talking about the destructive nature, so we're talking about your judicial standing before God, innocent or guilty. And all you have to do is commit one sin and you're automatically guilty before God. And I think if we're honest this morning, we would say, I've got a little bit more than one sin that I've committed in my life. Most of us would probably say, probably one sin that I've committed in the last 24 hours that I shouldn't have done. So our standing before God, again, speaking from a judicial standpoint, guilty. Guilty is charged. We've sinned against the holy God. 
And when we stand before God and as guilty, God said, here's the penalty of your sin. Here's the punishment for your sin. You sin, here's your sentence, death, across the board. And you might say, well, I don't know that I, I've done anything bad enough to, to die and go to hell. Again, that's not up for discussion. God has already determined your guilt and he's already determined your punishment, retribution. This is the way that you can make things right Sin must be punished. Someone must die. As we take a look at God's punishment, God's punishment comes in the form of his wrath. As you read through the, the Bible, the wrath of God is God's punishment upon sin, disobedience, rebellion. In the Old Testament, you'll see God pour out his wrath again and again and again. And it's interesting, sometimes people say, well, well, the God of the New Testament doesn't seem to like have the whole wrath thing down. It's important to understand, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. The God of the Old Testament is still the God of the New Testament and is still the God of you and I today. So God hates sin. Sin must be punished. It must be paid for. And God's punishment comes in the form of God's wrath. Now, we're gonna get into this a little bit deeper next week. Uh, and this is not in your notes, so if you wanna jot this down, it's important to note God's wrath is motivated by his justice. God's wrath is motivated by his justice. This has to be made right. Someone has to pay. I don't like to read a lot of the news because reading the news just makes me angry. But I saw a headline come across as I was scrolling. I usually just scroll a news feed and something jumps out at me. I'll, I'll, I'll read that article and keep on moving on, but I can't just sit down and read the news for hours. But I came across uh, an article uh, this past week of a man who had been uh, convicted of sexually molesting children and he got no jail time for it. And I thought to myself, that's not justice. Uh, well, well, he did this, I don't care, that's not justice. And when we live in a society that turns a blind eye to sexual sin, especially against children, we're no longer living in a just society. And we would look at a situation like that and we would cry out for justice, rightfully so. And here's the thing, Jesus would cry out for justice as well. You know what Jesus says? Anybody hurts one of these kids, it would be better for them to have a millstone hung around their neck and kicked off the end of a pier. That would be better for them than what they've got coming. So Jesus was serious about harming children too. But I look at things like that and I go, oh, where is the justice in this? God is just. Hey, I said this is the price, and this is the price. I said this is what you'll have to pay, and this is what you'll have to pay. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to, to stand uh, before a judge as a defendant before. I've had the privilege of that, right? And I plead my case. I am a good man. I try to do good things for my fellow man. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I work hard. I pay taxes. Uh, I, I just had a momentary lapse in judgment where I was driving 85 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. I should not be punished for this small lapse in judgment. And one time the, the judge says, you're right, Mr. King, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sign you off. You're good to go. I was like, yes, he goes, see the clerk on the way out. Great, I stopped by to see the clerk and she hits me with the court fees charge, which was like $450. And she's like, wait, no, I don't, I was, he dismissed it. Yeah, he still gotta pay $450 in court fees. I was like, good grief. How much would I have to pay if I actually had to pay the charge, right? But I thought to myself, here I am, I got off, got off. It didn't go on my record or anything like that. It didn't count against me on my points or my insurance. I got off, right? Is that justice? No. I, I committed the infraction. I should have to pay for it. 
And if we had a judge who every single case that came before him says, dismissed, 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 we would look at that and go, this isn't justice. This is a joke. No one's paying for anything. Yet we look at God like God should have a different set of rules associated with him. God should just blanket forgive everybody because he knows we're gonna mess up. God wouldn't be just if that were the case. God says, you've done the crime, now you've gotta do the time. And so God's punishment, God's wrath is not because God gets giddy about hurting people or God gets excited about sending people to hell. The Bible says God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The book of Ezekiel tells us that God has no pleasure in the death even of the wicked. God doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. But God requires a payment for your sin. You see, God's wrath in the Bible tells us God's wrath will be poured out on the unsaved in hell. If you're taking notes, right out to the side of your notes, Luke 16. Luke 16, Jesus talks in great detail about a rich man who died and went to hell and a poor beggar, homeless man who died and went to heaven. The homeless man was in Abraham's bosom and was comforted. The rich man who went to hell was in torment. And the Bible tells us that hell is a real place. The Bible tells us that hell is a place of conscious torment. The the rich man who went to hell knew exactly where he was at. He knew exactly what was happening to him and he knew, knew exactly why he was there. And so it's a place of conscious torment. It's a place without second chances. There's no place in the Bible called purgatory. It's made up by false religion. There is a real hell and there's a real heaven. And if you go to one, you can't go to the other. Nobody gets gets kicked out of heaven and goes back to hell. Nobody comes from hell and goes to heaven. Uh, The Bible says in uh, Luke 16, again, there's a great gulf fixed so that you can't pass from one side to the other. That's why we as Bible-believing Christians, when someone passes away, we don't pray that God would receive their soul. Either God's received or rejected their soul already, and you and I can't change that with our prayers. When someone dies, we don't light candles and pray for God to have mercy on their soul because God's mercy is already determined before that person ever passes away. Either they're experiencing the mercy of God or they're experiencing the wrath of God. No two ways about it, and there's nothing you and I can do to to pray someone out of there because hell is permanent. Next thing we see from Luke chapter 16 about God's wrath poured out in hell is those in hell don't want anyone else to come there. The rich man says, could somebody go and tell my brothers that they don't want to come here? I've met people before and talking with them where they say, my my brother died and I believe he's in hell and I want to go there because I want to be with my brother. I promise you, your brother does not want you there. The rich man here says, hey, could I go back and tell my brothers? Abraham says, no. They've got the Bible and they've got uh, people around them to tell them the truth and they've rejected that. If somebody came back from the dead and warned them, they still wouldn't believe. And so those in hell are conscious. Those in hell are concerned for the people that they know that they will not come there. And those people are still there. The rich man that, that, that Jesus spoke about who went to hell, He's still there 2,000 years later, still in torment, still crying out. And God's wrath will be poured out forever. How? That's God's punishment. Why? That's God's punishment for sin. You and I have sinned against God. Let me tell you this. We deserve that. I deserve hell. 
when I die, there's nothing good in me that should earn heaven. That's for sure. I deserve to be punished for my sin. I'm not a good person. I'm a sinner. We sometimes think that hell is only reserved for, for bad people, that only bad people go to hell. You know, that, that the good people who do good things, they get to go to heaven, and bad people who do bad things go to hell. The problem with that logic is we're all bad people who do bad things. And, and who is the arbitrator then that determines how good or how bad goes to heaven or goes to hell? There's none of that in God's eyes. God says, you've sinned, you'll be punished for your sin. Next, we see that God's wrath will be poured out on the earth during the last days. There'll come a period of time known as the great tribulation period, the period of seven years where God's wrath will be poured out on the unbelievers that are left here on earth. We as a church believe in what is sometimes referred to as the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. What that means is we believe that the church will be taken up to heaven in the rapture before the tribulation time comes here on earth. But the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter six, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. People are praying for death. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the land, the land being Jesus Christ. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? These people see God's wrath coming and they cry out for death. They just wanna die so that they'll no longer have to face the wrath of God. These people fail to realize is once their suffering on this earth is complete, their suffering for eternity will begin once they get to hell. And God's wrath will be poured out upon the earth in the last days as punishment for sin. But here's the good news for you and I. Here's the good news for the world. In the face of God's cry for justice, in the face of God's wrath, which will be poured out upon mankind to the point where we cannot Stand it that we would cry out for death. God's already poured out his wrath upon his son Jesus on the cross. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfectly sinless life. And he took upon himself the sins of mankind. Jesus experienced physical death upon the cross as payment for sin. Remember? Remember God says the wages, the payment of sin is death. This is the punishment for sin. Physical death and spiritual separation from God. And Jesus says, I'll do it. So he became sin for us. Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. But he became sin for us. And he hung upon that cross and was publicly humiliated, spat upon, cursed, blasphemed, beaten. Why? To pay for our sins. This is the punishment for sin. The book of Isaiah chapter 53 says, we looked at him and we saw him smitten of God, forsaken by God. Man, I don't know what he's done, but he's made God really angry. And we see Jesus bearing the sins of mankind in his body. And God poured out his wrath upon Jesus there on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 is in your notes there. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
Isaiah 53, verse number five, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus didn't just die. Jesus died in our place. Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God. And when he cried out upon the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God had literally forsaken his own son and turned his back upon him because Jesus Christ became sin and Jesus experienced a spiritual separation from God that he had never had before, experiencing spiritual death as the payment for sin. Sin has to be punished. So Jesus says, I'm willing to be punished in their place. We sometimes refer to this as the substitutionary atonement of Christ. That Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died for me. And if we go back through our, our text in Romans chapter five, take a look at that if you would. Starting verse number one, therefore being justified by faith, the word justified means declared righteous before God, made right before God by faith. We have peace with God, how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Verse six through eight is phenomenal. But when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? Us. Who's, he died for the bad people. Who's the bad people? Us. For scarcely for a righteous man one would die, yet peradventure a good man, someone even dare to die. Hey, a really good dude, there might be somebody who would say, I'm willing to lay down my life for that guy. He's a really good guy. I'm willing to put myself in harm's way to protect this person. I would trade my life for that other person. I think most of us as parents would say we would trade our lives for our children to be able to live. It's definitely a noble thing. But would you trade your life for a child molester? I think all of us would go, nope, justice. Justice needs to be served there. Would you trade your life for a rapist? Nope, justice needs to be served. Would you trade your life for a murderer, a drug addict, a drug dealer? Would you trade your, your, yourself your life for the life of a pimp. I think all those little go, nope, justice. That's the beautiful part of verse number eight. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus didn't die for the religious people who have it all together. Jesus didn't die for the upper middle class folks who go to church on Sunday and carry their Bible with them everywhere they go. Jesus didn't die for those. He died for sinners. And I don't know about you, but that brings me great hope because I am a sinner. And that means that Jesus died for me. I deserve punishment. Jesus took my punishment. And verse nine is beautiful as well. Much more than being now justified or declared righteous before God by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Hmm. You know what that verse means? Verse nine do you understand the implications of verse nine? That God's wrath is coming as punishment for sin, but those of us who have put our faith in Jesus will never see God's wrath. 
I take great comfort in knowing that I'll never spend eternity in hell, not for a split second. I take great comfort in knowing that my sin has been punished, but not on my shoulders, but on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. Now, before we get like, whoo, dodge the bullet there, I think I'm good. Please understand the majority of our world is still standing in the way of God's wrath and punishment. As we congregate here today and hear about the one who gave his life for us, we have about a thousand neighbors directly across the street, many of which who have never heard the name of Jesus before or what he's done. So lest we get smug and high and mighty and pat ourselves on the back because we've avoided God's wrath, let's remember that the majority of our city still stands in the way of God's wrath. People that I know, people that you know, stand in judgment of God's wrath. Guys that I'll go to the gym with tomorrow morning, stand in judgment of God's wrath. It's coming for them. And it's my responsibility, it's your responsibility to tell people that their sin has already been paid for by Jesus Christ. They must look to him though. Good news for us as children of God, God's children will never see wrath or punishment. Verse 10, for if we, when we were enemies, Verse 10, we need to stop for just a second and understand that before you knew Jesus Christ, you weren't just a, a bad person. The Bible says you were an enemy of God. You weren't just somebody who needed a little bit of help. You were an enemy of God. And if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're a child of God, there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you stand today as an enemy of God. And God's wrath and judgment will be poured out upon you unless someone else pays for you. Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. That word atonement means that the price has been paid, that things are right between me and God. Now I have peace with God through Jesus Christ because of what he has done but friend, I fear there might be someone here today that has not yet made peace with God and you're standing in danger of God's judgment. There's not enough good things that you can do with your life to turn away God's wrath. There's not enough praying, not enough church attendance, not enough good works to turn away God's wrath. The idea that maybe you could be baptized in a church and that putting you underwater would turn away God's wrath couldn't be further from the truth. Well, I, I was a member of such and such Baptist church that does not turn away God's wrath. The only thing that will turn away the wrath of God is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. In the book of Exodus, it's a story we often uh, teach our kids in Sunday school. The last plague that God brought to Egypt so that the children of Israel could leave was to kill the firstborn son in every house. The only way that they could avoid God's coming wrath was to take the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost to their home. And when the death angel come, he would pass over that home and go to the homes without the blood and take the firstborn son from there as a way to punish sin. You look at that now and knowing what we know now, I can imagine the Jews there thinking to themselves, 
did God not know where we lived? Do we really have to sprinkle blood on the doorpost? Is this really that big of a deal? I mean, can, can, like, we're all together in the same place. Why do we have to do this? But it was a picture for you and I that we now can stand knowing what we know from Romans 5 and look back and go, wow. The children of Israel were also standing in the way of God's judgment, but they took the blood of an innocent animal and they spread it across the doorpost and death did not come to them. What's that a picture of? It's a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ, how you and I stand in danger of God's judgment. But God says, hey, just take the blood of Jesus to cover your sins. And death, won't ever, you won't ever see death. Oh, sure, I'm gonna see a physical death, but please understand that is a momentary graduation from this life to the next. And know this, the mortality rate on human life is 100%. 100%, we're all gonna die. You can't get out of it. Are you ready? I'm ready. I mean, if I die today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt where I'll be. I will never see wrath. That's a promise from God's word because I'm saved, because Jesus has taken the punish for, for my sin. So I'll never see God's wrath. Now, do I want to die? I'm not trying to die. I'm not gonna ride around without a seatbelt or uh, walk on the red hand or something like that and get hit by a bus. I'm not trying to die. But I don't fear death because I'll never see God's wrath and punishment. Jesus took it up on the cross for me. And as a nine-year-old boy, I put my faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I realized I'd broken God's law and I needed to be saved. And I was saved as a nine-year-old boy. I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my savior. I didn't fully understand everything that there was to, to know about the Bible or sin or uh, anything like that. But I knew that I stood in, in the path of God's wrath and judgment. And I cried out to God as a nine-year-old boy and asked him to save me and he did. Now, I've sinned a lot since then. Am I punished for my sin? No. I'll never see God's wrath because of my sin. My sin has been paid for. Well, does that mean God doesn't do bad things because Jesus Christ has been punished? No, doesn't mean that either. But you see, if my sin was placed upon Jesus and Jesus was punished for my sin, then the price and penalty of my sin is paid in full. It's a beautiful thing. I'm no longer on the hook for my own sin. It's been paid in full. That's what Jesus Christ has done. Now, some might say, well, because I've, uh, I've been forgiven my sin, I can just live ever how I want to now. No, Romans chapter six, just one chapter over from where we're at today, says don't do that. But because of that, I'll never see the punishment for my sin. Although it's important to understand, although we'll not be punished for our sin, we will still experience the negative ramifications of our sin through the consequences and the chastening of God. So I'm here to tell you this morning, if you're a child of God, you will not be punished for your sin. But I can guarantee you, if you are a child of God, you will be chastised for your sin and you will experience the negative consequences and ramifications of your sin. So please don't think that because you're forgiven, you're off the hook. Again, from a judicial standpoint, God says your sin has been stamped, paid in full. No longer under the penalty of your sin. But if you get the idea that now that you're free from your sin, you can live ever how you want to, you've misunderstood the grace of God. 
This is where the next two weeks we're going to take a look at what the chastening of God is. Next week, if you want to read ahead, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. Oh, man, I could take six weeks and unpack Hebrews 12, but I won't. I'll try to do it in 60 minutes um, or so. Um, but you want to read ahead read Hebrews 12. You cannot sin and just get away with it. It doesn't work that way. I'm thankful that you and I will never see, if you're a child of God, never see the punishment of God. If you want to skip down in uh, Romans chapter 5 uh, this morning to verse number 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You see, you, you and I cannot out the grace of God. No one has sinned so much in their lifetime that they cannot be covered by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. You just haven't. God's grace is good enough. It's big enough. It can cover whatever you've done. And even if you're a child of God and you've made mistakes, you've messed up, or you've willfully rebelled and shook your face, you shook your fist in the face of God, know this, God's grace can still cover that. You can still be forgiven. But Christians sometimes get this idea that I can just now continue to live ever how I want because I'm going to heaven now. I don't have to worry about hell, so I can continue to sin. <laughs> just skip down to Romans chapter 6, verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If I get the glimpse of Jesus Christ writhing in agony, crying out on the cross, beaten beyond recognition of a man, all because of my sin, and he hung there, on the cross because of his love for me and his desire that I would be delivered from my sin. How can I go back to my sin? This doesn't even make sense. Either I don't fully grasp the depths of my sin or I don't fully grasp the sacrifice of Jesus. Either way, I gotta get a grip. Good news for you here today. If you're a child of God, you'll never be punished for your sin. That punishment was laid upon Jesus Christ but you will suffer as a result of your sin. I guarantee you that. You'll just never experience the wrath of God. I've known people before who say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm backslidden, and I've done some things that I'll probably go to hell for. Know this, if you're a child of God, you will never see wrath. It's a promise from God. Now, the question is, are you a child of God? And if there's someone here today that thinks to themselves, I, I'm kind of sort of sure that I'm a child of God, but I don't really know, please don't leave this church without knowing today for sure, 100% certain that you are saved, that you are a child of God. Because if you're 50-50, that means there's a 50% chance that you're standing in the way of God's wrath. If you hope that you're saved, then you're hoping that you won't see God's wrath, but there's a possibility that you might. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13, these things I've written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know you have everlasting life. God wants you to know that you're saved and wants you to know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. Don't think so. Don't hope so. Know so. If you're here today and you say, I've never put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, today's your opportunity. And friend, let me just tell you, you have been warned. And I don't say this to scare anybody or to freak you out or try to manipulate someone's emotions into putting their faith and trust in Christ. That'll never work. But I want you to know, if you're not saved, you stand in danger of God's wrath and judgment. And it's coming. The Bible says in the book of James, we don't have a promise of tomorrow. You might not be here tomorrow, you might not be here tomorrow. And friend, when it's lights out on this earth for you, you're gonna stand before God. 
It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment, and you will stand before God, and you'll give an account of your life. Are you ready for that? I want you to be. Know this, suffering due to sin is completely avoidable. We took a look at last week in 1 Peter. We should not suffer as evildoers. If you're suffering because of your sin, it's your own fault and it's completely avoidable. When I fully grasp the depths of the consequences of my sin, I'll no longer make excuses for my sin. I'll no longer say that my sin's not a big deal. I'll no longer say that this is just how I am. This is just how I was raised. Well, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. This is just how I am. Mm. All those are excuses for your own sinful condition. And God has sent Jesus to save you from your sin and to give you a new life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's a promise from God. Romans chapter six, if you want to follow on reading that in your Bible reading this week, I encourage you to do that. You're no longer a slave to your sin. You've been set free. You need to choose though to yield yourself unto righteousness. So, good news. If you're a child of God, you'll never be punished for your sin. You'll never experience the wrath of God for your sin. You've been promised sonship, daughtership. You're a part of the family of God now. You're no longer an enemy. You're a part of the family of God. You can be guaranteed of your home in heaven. You can be guaranteed that when the last days come and God's wrath is poured out upon the earth and people are running to and fro screaming for death that you won't experience any of that because God promises that his righteous will never, righteous will never see the wrath of God. Good news. If you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're saved, good news. Jesus has been punished for you that you don't have to endure the wrath of God. You don't have to see hell if you're willing to, today to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not Jesus plus my religion or Jesus plus my good works or I'll believe in Jesus, but I also got these other things that I'm counting on too. No, no, Jesus wants to be your Lord and your Savior. He wants to save you from your sin and he wants to save you from the coming wrath that's coming because God's wrath is coming. You just don't know when. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, be saved today. It's a belief in your heart and a confession with your mouth. Romans chapter 10 tells us, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that he died for my sins and I believe without him, I will suffer the wrath of God. And today I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I turn away from my sin and I leave my sin with Jesus. If you're willing to do that today, he will save you. It's the best news you'll ever hear in your entire life. We call it the gospel. We're the good news is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. If you're not saved, be saved today. If you're a child of God, you say, I'm saved, I won't see the wrath of God, good. Share it with somebody this week because I guarantee you there's somebody that you're gonna meet in the next 24 hours that is standing in the way of God's judgment. And the Bible says you and I have the opportunity to save them from their sin. I can't save anybody, but I can point them to the one that can and pull them from harm's way if I'm willing to have compassion, love, and care for that person. Next week, we're gonna take a look at when we do sin. How does God correct his children? So today, we take a look at the punishment of God that's coming for those that are not his children. Next week, we're gonna take a look at God's chastisement that does come for his children when his children are disobedient and sin against him. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. 
We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.